Welcome to episode 70 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, are you stuck in a rut? Or do you believe that ruts aren't even a thing on the trail? Then we'll share the top five pieces of important backpacking equipment that will probably never make it on the trail. Next, if you're in the mood for a game night, we have a fun game that will have you dreaming of your next adventure. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, if your pack didn't come with an integrated pack cover, we've got you covered. And we'll wrap up the show with a secret, kind of. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. So Josh and I are both kind of at this stage of life where we're in a rut, a comfortable rut. (laughs) I don't know. But every day seems to have a pattern to it. And of course, having children, you really need to have some sort of order and stability in your life. So we do have a lot of patterns, a lot of routines. We get up at the same time each morning, roughly. You know, have the same two or three options for breakfast, and our day ends up being filled up by pretty similar things each day. Yeah, it's easy to feel like we're not really going anywhere anymore in in life. You know, it's like, well, we've made it through all the big things. We grew (laughs) up, we graduated from high school and college and had kids, and and now it's just kind of in that stage where every day is about the same. Oh, and this isn't meant to be depressing. This is actually kind of a comfortable thing. Of course, we have many more things to look forward to in life. There's places we've never been, and there's ice cream flavors we've never tasted, and there are things to look forward to, but we're kind of in this this pattern right now. And it got me thinking about backpacking and maybe the ruts that we get into when we get outdoors. Like, do we go to the same places? Are we drawn to the same types of adventures? Do we kind of bring along the same food, do the same amount of miles, travel with the same group? Yet if you feel like you're stuck in a rut, if you just change the word to groove... It has a totally different feeling, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. I like that. So we're in a backpacking groove. Now that's something that that sounds cool. It does. You know, when we lived in Utah, there was this one spot that we went to frequently. It was Clover Springs. And we we didn't backpack there. We just camped as a family, just did car camping. It was our go-to spot because it was so close to home and there was always a spot open. It had a little river running through it or a little creek, I guess. And usually there was a rope swing that someone had hung up there. And so there's always lots to do. And we loved it. And that was our rut. That was groove. That was our groove. (laughs) It was so great because it got us outdoors. It was like a a no-brainer decision. When we decided we wanted to go camping that weekend, we would just say, all right, let's go to Clover Springs. We know it's open. We know it's available. It was BLM land. So it was really our go-to spot. So do we really get into ruts in backpacking or do we just call them grooves? Or is every trip so different Like, even if you go to exactly the same place with the same friends and the same gear, is every trip so different that 
it's never a rut. I I think you're right. I think you got something there because nature changes so dramatically. I mean, from one trip to the next, you're going to have different weather blowing through. You're going to have different things blooming at different times. You'll just have a, I mean, you're a different person on the trail. You'll have a different experience every single time, regardless of kind of the the natural ruts or grooves that you tend to follow. I will say uh, last year we went to the Redwoods twice. We went in the spring with the kids. And then in the fall, when our plan to go to the Wallawas got derailed by a forecast of snow, our group that we were going with said, okay, well, let's do the Redwoods. And uh, I will say when it's the Redwoods, spring versus fall really wasn't much of a difference (laughs) there. It was cool rain, green trees, lots of water, cloudy. Uh, Those two trips were pretty similar in terms (laughs) of what we saw. But even then, we got to be out with uh, our kids on the first trip. We got to be out with our hiking buddies on the second trip. So I guess in life, we're all kind of conscious of the fact that we are in the rut or the groove of life. But in backpacking, I really think that it's not as much of an issue as it is in everyday life, that every experience that you have outdoors is unique and enriching and brings so much to your life. For today's top five list, we have the top five pieces of backpacking gear that stay home. When we think about backpacking gear, we're usually thinking about the stuff that we wear or stuff inside of our pack to take on a trip. Every backpacker has this stash of gear and equipment that just stays home. It never goes on a trip, but it's still really important to having a good backpacking experience. The number one piece of backpacking gear that can stay home is your food dehydrator. This is a great piece of gear to have because it makes it so you can dehydrate your own meals. It really opens up your options for stuff that you can bring on a trip because you're not just limited to the packages that you see in the backpacking store. You can pretty much come up with any meal that you want and stick it in the dehydrator and take it backpacking. And this is an especially important piece of gear if you're health conscious because you can put something like lentil soup with carrots and onions in your dehydrator and it fits into like a little tiny sandwich bag. It's amazing. You can get a whole serving of something that's really healthy and delicious and wonderful. The dehydrator also makes for really great trail snacks. So dehydrating peaches, uh, pears are one of my favorite. Apples are a really easy one too. You can do all sorts of things. We've also talked about doing yogurt jerky, which is a really fun one. You just buy the full fat yogurt and then pour it on some parchment paper in your dehydrator and you get this kind of Laffy Taffy-like stuff. It's really fun. And my favorite dehydrator food is beef jerky. That's always a winner. And a dehydrator is one of those things that I've been able to find with pretty frequent success at the thrift store. And they usually end up being like 10 or $15. The number two piece of backpacking gear that can probably stay home is your knife sharpener. For the length of trip, that most backpackers go on, it's safe to say that your knife will probably hold its edge for that amount of time. You know, I used to take a knife sharpener in my 10 Essentials kit. I have no idea why, because I could just use it at home, and my knife is going to stay sharp for a trip. But it was in there, and it wasn't till maybe just a year ago that I really took a more critical look at what I had in my 10 Essentials kit, and of course the knife sharpener came out. 
The number three piece of backpacking gear that can probably stay home is your sleeping bag storage bag. Now, these are special bags that are large and highly ventilated, so your sleeping bags can be protected and fully lofted when they're being stored at home. There's a good chance that if you bought a high-quality backpacking sleeping bag, that it came with a storage sack. Now, this is totally different than the stuff sack that your sleeping bag goes in when you're on the trail. That compresses the bag completely, and if you were to store your sleeping bag in that stuff sack when you got home, It would damage the fibers if it's a synthetic bag, and it would keep the down compressed so it would have a harder time re-lofting when you take it out of that tight, compressed stuff sack. So keep your sleeping bag at home in these large sleeping bag storage bags, but don't bother taking those bags on the trail. Yeah, that might be a little confusing if you're brand new to camping or backpacking and you buy the sleeping bag and it comes with something that you think is a stuff sack, but it's huge. Yeah. And you're thinking, well... How am I ever going to fit this in my pack? And yeah, it's not a stuff sack. It's just the storage bag, and it's meant to be large so that it will not compress your sleeping bag while it's stored. The number four piece of backpacking gear that can probably stay home is gear that's irrelevant to the trip that you're going on. If you look at a packing list, REI has a really great packing list that we usually turn to before trips. You're going to see things like ice axe or a snake bite kit. I've never brought an ice axe on a trip. I just don't go on those kinds of trips. However, for one of our segments that's coming up soon on the first 40 miles, we're going to be doing a Ready for Adventure segment on the Swamp Fox Passage, where they do recommend to bring a snake bite kit. So really, depending on the trip that you're going on, you'll want to find out which pieces of your backpacking gear are actually relevant for that trip. And if you find yourself putting something in your pack just in case, I think that's a red flag. You might want to reconsider putting that in. It it seems like too many things can go in for the reason of just in case. Have you ever caught yourself doing that, Josh, where you're like, I'm just going to throw in this camera filter. I'm just going to throw in this extra food just in case. Yeah, and on short overnight trips, it doesn't really matter. It's 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 less of a just in case and more of a, huh, I think I'll throw this in. Who cares? I'm just carrying it overnight. But on longer trips, you're trying to be as prepared as you can be because you know you're going to be out all week. And yeah, I found myself grabbing something and like, well, I might need this. And then I go on the trip and I never use it the entire week. And you kind of learn from experience, okay, the things that I think I might need just in case are the things I never pull out of my pack. The number five piece of backpacking gear that you can probably leave at home is backpacking literature, backpacking books, things that maybe you used when you were planning your trip, but you don't really want to bring along the entire book on the trip. So you can just photocopy the relevant pages and stuff those into your pack. On our Redwoods trip, we actually threw in a backpacking book, not into our packs, but into the car, and it was great. So definitely, if you're going to be doing a long drive to your destination, go ahead and bring along some books that maybe cover the region that you'll be in, because you never know. You might have to end up changing last minute. Yeah, and another option is if you're already going to be bringing a smartphone, uh, you can see if you can get the books in digital format or the maps or whatever. You know, this reference material or fun reading material, that can all go digitally on your smartphone and weigh nothing. 
Kind of like our ebook, 40 Backpacking Hacks. It weighs nothing. That's right. This top five list wasn't really a comprehensive list. There are lots of other things that end up staying at home that you don't bring with you backpacking, but that enhance your backpacking experience, like detergents that you use to wash your backpacking clothes and gear. And then there's the repair things that you use. You don't really need to take along the heavy duty repair stuff. Just a light repair kit will be fine on the trip. So there's lots of other little things. We just shared five things that kind of give you the idea that you can't take it all with you. And you really do need to analyze everything and just get it down to the basics. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Appalachian Trail Game. This is a fun family game that gives you a chance to relive the trail, even if you've never been on it. It really kind of gives you that trail experience. And even if you never do a section of it, it's just a fun way to feel like you've been a part of the Appalachian Trail. And one of the things that I loved most about this game was at the very beginning, before you even start the game, everyone chooses a trail name. And that was probably the funnest, <laughs> the funnest little twist to this game, because when you're asking people, you know, to read a challenge card, you call them by their trail name. And our kids kind of compounded the challenge because, you know, there's six of us trying to remember each other's trail names. And then two of them were changing their trail names throughout <laughs> the game. They were impossible to remember. But we had a lot of fun with it. So we wanted to tell you about this game because it's something that not only is educational, but it can prepare you for time on the trail. This is a board game. The board that you play on is actually similar in material to a waterproof, tearproof map. So you just lay that out on the table or on the floor, and the game has two boxes of cards. One of the boxes are chance cards, and the other box is challenge cards. To start out the game, every player gets gear cards, and you just lay those out in front of you, and then every player holds in their hand five challenge cards. So as you make your way up the AT, uh, depending on what color space you're on, you either land on a challenge space or a chance space. And if you land on a challenge space, then you get to ask any player for a challenge card. And they'll either show you a picture of an animal or they'll ask you a question that's usually specifically relevant to the AT or to backpacking. So it kind of falls in those two categories. And if you get the challenge correct, then you get to keep that challenge card. It goes into what's called your trail journal pile and it has points on it. So that's how you rack up points in the game. If you get it wrong, then the person who read or showed you the challenge card, they get to keep that card in their trail journal pile. So one of the cool things about the board that you're playing on is that it's a map of the Appalachian Trail. And so you can see all these little Appalachian Trail communities along the way. And it's a great way to get to know each of these waypoints. But you're not actually traveling to each of the AT communities in the game you're traveling to squares, which may have two or three communities in it. The game itself is about five and a half inches by four inches by one and a half inches. It weighs 13 ounces. So it's one of those things you'll probably want to play at home and bring the memories with you on the trail. But you might throw it in just in case. Just in case? <laughs> I need to have you listen to the last segment. <laughs> just in case. Okay. <laughs> Uh, as far as maintenance goes, it's a game. So in order to use it, you need 
about two to four people. Really, we maxed out when we played it with five people. Josh ended up being kind of the moderator of the game. So five people, it was slow going on the trail. Like after playing for about 45 minutes, almost an hour, we were just up to Harper's Ferry. Yeah, halfway. Yeah. And the game typically should take about 30 to 45 minutes. So really, the less people you have, the faster the game goes. Kind of like in real life, the less people you have in your hiking group, (laughs) faster you can blaze ahead. So I guess it depends on uh, on your, your priorities. Yeah, you're right. I think one reason it was slow, especially at the start, was because the first two spaces are challenge spaces. And it's not till you get to the third space that you get a chance card. And the way the game works, there's no dice. So everyone on their first turn goes to the first space. And then everyone on their second turn goes to the second space. And finally, everyone on their third turn gets to the first chance card space. And it's not till you get to a chance card that you could actually get some randomness thrown into the game where you're sent forward a few spaces or backward a few spaces or have to stay where you are for a turn. So I think that's why it felt slow to start, especially with five players. Now, if it was just two or three players, you'd, you'd roll through those first three spots pretty quickly and get to your first chance card. Another cool thing about this game is that it doesn't come with playing pieces. So you just have to go out to the backyard and find a few stones or reach into your pocket and grab a couple coins and you get to use those as playing pieces. As far as investment goes, the game costs about $20. They have a gift pack where you can buy three copies of the game for $55. And for $70, you can buy a deluxe backpacking edition. Now, this special edition comes in a laser-engraved cedar wooden box. It's mostly for game collectors and people who just love the AT. As far as trial goes, we had some fun moments as we were playing. So we recorded a couple minutes of the game and took a little glimpse into our family dynamics, and you'll get a little glimpse into the Appalachian Trail game as well. It's your turn, and so you advance one. You're on the dark green, okay? And you pick someone to read a challenge card to you. What animal is this? Is it the great horned owl? Totally got it exactly. Good job. I am not going to cheat. So Hill Hacker gets that card. I got it exactly. Perfect. Good job. And it's Pocahontas' turn. Okay, I think this is one that you're going to like. Azaleas. Okay, I'll give you. It starts with an R. Rhododendrons? Yeah. You are wrong. (laughs) Yeah, you're wrong. Okay, take a chance card. Slap! Arrange your car support. Send your gear ahead and hike with a day pack. Advance one space. And then, yeah, that card can just go back in the stack here, I think. Ah, blue. Oh, I get a chance card instead. Use a bounce box. Lighten your pack weight by mailing some items ahead. Advance one space and add this card to your journal. Yay! Okay. All right. Moving on to you. (laughs) These are the best. Twisted ankle. Wait. Wait. This is like Oregon Trail. Do not advance next turn unless you are carrying two of the following. Uh. Which which other one do you need? Maybe we can donate it or trade it. I need trekking poles or a first aid kit. You have first aid kit gives you everything. Or trekking poles. I, I have hiking poles and first aid I only have boots. Trade I have for some really good boots. I'll trade you personal poles. items because personal items are completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> what is that personal item? 
Like, what's in the picture? Okay, camera, journal. art supplies, journal, journal book, musical instrument game. <laughs> Here, I'll trade These are my favorite that. things to bring on the trail. Okay, okay we bended so the that rules. You to just... Okay, Van Gogh, it's your turn. Hope you could follow along with that. I don't know if you picked up on this, but within the first few seconds of that clip, someone was accusing someone else of cheating. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I guess I didn't because it happens with every game that we play. <laughs> Yeah. No cheating going on. It was all legit. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And maybe next time we play, we'll get all the way to Katahdin. For today's backpack hack of the week, we have the poncho pack cover. Now, it's kind of funny because I was talking to someone last week as I was doing research, and they just mentioned, you know, instead of using a pack cover, I always use a poncho because it gives you more coverage and it's a multi-use item. I thought it was so funny because that is our backpack hack of the week. It was just perfect. So some backpacks come with a pack cover and some don't. And one of the downsides of pack covers is that they actually don't cover the entire pack. The rain can still hit your straps and your straps can get soaked and the water can drip down the sides of the pack cover and end up getting the sides of your pack wet. Pack covers still are very useful, but if you want complete protection and a piece of multi-use gear, then wear a poncho instead of using a pack cover. You won't have water dripping down your back. You won't have wet straps. You'd probably still want to wear rain pants, but you could probably ditch the rain jacket. And one of the nice things about ponchos is that if it gets really windy and you feel like your poncho really isn't providing a lot of rain protection, you can tuck the back of the poncho up underneath your pack and have it secured there so it won't be flapping in the breeze. A poncho covering both you and your pack together is going to look really large, but it's going to work really well. And a poncho provides a lot more ventilation than your uh, rain gear. So, especially in warmer climates, this is going to be a really good idea because you get a lot more air circulation while keeping everything dry. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from Frances Hodgson Burnett, who wrote The Secret Garden. She wrote, Is the spring coming? What's it like? It is the sun shining on the rain and the rain falling on the sunshine. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or check out our book on Amazon or iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. like beef jerky. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay for me. <laughs> Yay for beef jerky. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how that's not even important? <laughs> <laughs> However, for one of our segments that's coming up in a few weeks, we're going to be doing... No, maybe not a few weeks. Maybe it's next week. I don't know. <laughs>